Welcome to Brave New Words. I'm here with... I'm Ross. I'm Del. Uh, my name's Ed Fortune. And um, yeah, oh, congratulations on listening to a book podcast which is about books. Oddly enough, we're going to be talking about books. Um, we are brought to you today courtesy of Starburst Magazine, um, The Wonky Spanner and FabRadioInternational.com. Uh, you can listen to us live on Fab Radio uh, 12 till 1 on FabRadioInternational.com. Just find us on the internet. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter at Radio Bookworm and everywhere else on the web as well. We're all over the place. So shall we get on? of the show the show a jingle first maybe a jingle starburst radio the greatest radio show in the universe every wednesday 9 p.m till 11 p.m exclusive to fab radio international that was a lovely jingle it was a very lovely jingle but, um, this has gotten suddenly very warm um, so... <laughs> ed has just handed me a hand warmer because it's warm. I, 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 it wasn't warm, and I picked it up, and suddenly it became warm. Because, you know, that's how they work. I'd forgotten that. And, and Del's looking at me like, I'm a complete fool, which I basically am. So, talking of hot things, see as a segue, um, I have in my hand The Burning Page, which is not a book about the um, temperature it takes to set fire to books. Yes, that's fair enough. Or 51. Yes. But instead, it's Genevieve Cogman's uh, third book uh, in the Invisible Library series. Del's looking excited. It's because that's an exciting name. It's always nice to see that name. Um, she is lovely, is Genevieve Cogman. She's really, really lovely. Um, and this is... She's written two books in uh, previously, The Invisible Library and The Mass City, uh, which I think we talked about before. Um, yeah, I've definitely talked about The Invisible Library with, like, on a show so, with you. Let's let's explain the concept of the library. So, the Invisible Library is a trans-dimensional library. Uh, it sits outside of reality, and it is powered by knowledge. Uh, knowledge is power. So, right. all the books in this library power this kind of this massive pan-dimensional library, which is filled with unique books. Okay, I mean, I, I was aware most books were powered. Most libraries were powered by knowledge, but I didn't realize there were equations. Well, this this one is is literally powered by by knowledge, uh, and language and words, and it sits. Uh, the The premise of of this kind of multiverse is that on the extreme end, there's extreme chaos, where nothing can really live because it's all chaos, and it's you know, it's it's constantly nothing. It's constantly mm. something. It's constantly different. Right, if you see what I mean. Just beyond the dimension where everything is made out of jam, including the jam, you, you, <laughs> you get to the, the world where it's just like all squiggly chaos all the time. And those worlds get like really difficult to keep your place. And then the other direction, well, yeah. that's the point. You, you don't know where you are, so you get lost. Cause, well, yeah, no, no but, I mean, in a library, you go to. to well, it's not a, li- not a library. This is the right the the the, the, the universe it's in. Oh, okay. In the other direction, it's order. Mm-hmm. And the more order it gets, so chaos, extreme chaos, then as we slowly but surely kind of pan where life can exist, right? you get high magic worlds, which is all you know, wizards and dragons and fairies, and the fairies live there, and the fairies are pure chaos and pure magic. Okay. 
that it pans in the kind of in roughly in the middle is somewhere like our world, maybe our drifts further towards order. Um, and then magic kind of disappears and it's all cyberpunky and kind of technology and order and control. And the dragons live there. And the dragons control everything because dragons like things ordered and they like things put together nicely and everything has to be ordered neatly and then as, as we get further out it gets so ordered that everything is ordered, everything is in one state and thus nothing can live there. Okay. Because it's all it's all the same. It's all, you know, the heat death of the universe has occurred. <laughs> everything is nicely evened out. All, all the atoms are alphabetised. Nothing can live there. <laughs> Um, somewhere in the middle, being as neutral as possible, is the library. And the agents in the library go out into the other world and they retrieve books that are unique to other worlds. Okay. And they, they have to be kind of catalogued, returned to the library, so they're preserved, because that's the job of the library. The librarians are empowered to do so thanks to a nifty thing where they understand the language. And the language is the one language. Okay. okay. So if you say something in the language, you understand what they're saying, because it is the language of languages. But because everything has a name and everything has been named, if you understand the langu language properly and you expend power to make the words work, you can, you can demand that things do things. So you can say, door close, and the door will close. Because you've told the door what to do by its proper name right and also you can say open a portal to the library which will take you to the library you can only do this if you have a librarian brand which is a magical tattoo and it hurts to look at the words on there because it's language mm -hmm. so if you're a librarian you know what it is that so poor tattoo artist then interesting question ow 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 Ow. Are we oh. done? Ow. <laughs> the first question is exactly who does that. I don't know. I don't think it's ever explained. Maybe they have to. Is there an equivalent of a welding mask? Maybe it's me. Who knows? Oh, what? And every time you do, do this, you say the entire thing is seared from your memory. Yeah. Well, Maybe it hurts so much you forget it. Yeah, but surely if you, if you have words to do these things, you can presumably say, tattoo, make yourself. And it would form ink assemble yourself you upon the skin. Have to have the brands. Uh, people are also really hard to you can't just say a physician heal thyself. Okay. Because then what the physician does is they go off and try and get some bandages. Yeah. Um you've got to basically say individual cell and it's really hard to So you can say poison purge oneself from one's body. But again, that that will cause vomiting and all the rest of it. So, so this is, is this is the excuse for all those really really long chemical formula the, the full names of chemicals. So you, you know, I, I'm going to create a chemical reaction, but I'm going to use your proper name, not this tritosin synthetase, but the actual fully several thousand letters long version of the word. I think mean, that's close to it. It's it's the you have to have intimate knowledge of biology in order to make hmm. it work. Uh, and the language is very pedantic. Yes. So, I have, there's a snippet from uh, I can't remember which Doctor Who novel it is, but it's 
uh, some of the equations for you know someone's written the equations because the TARDIS is made out of pure mathematics and you know some some kind of temporal equations where someone's written these equations in beautiful Gothic literature and then someone's crossed something out at the end and written oh about five and it, it's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's and it's you know you just imagining no no a little bit to the left because the universe is not quite that well lost but. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the point of librarians is that they're, they're neither chaos nor order, mm-hmm. and they have exact um, neutrality. Uh, the librarian Irene is the main character of the, the Invisible Library stories. Um, Irene is not her real name; she is an she is selected from a group because that's what they do when they become librarians. They they, they don't use that because names are power. Yeah, because names are mm. power. So, um, so she, she's called Irene because one of her favourite books, of course, was The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. Okay. Uh, which means, of course, that eventually, in previous books, she got to... So, the, the, it's kind of a steampunk world. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the fairies obviously have an embassy in... It's not Luxembourg, it's the other one. Um, the other one... one. <laughs> What's like the, another what's the L other? word? Another Lichtenstein. Lichtenstein, that's it. I was oh, okay. about uh, to say Lichtenstein. So, so they have an embassy in Lichtenstein because, uh, uh, as they kind of, as she dismissively says, in worlds like this, it's always Lichtenstein or Luxembourg. Uh, and it's like fairies have a foothold. They have an embassy, obviously in London. This is a terrible idea. Why would you give fairies an embassy? Oh, goodness, mm-hmm. amateurs. Can you claim asylum there? What would you do if you claimed asylum there? Well, it's more than the fact that you've literally given part of your land to fairies, and fairies are extra-dimensional beings, so that's a terrible idea regardless of which story you're telling. It's always yeah. a bad idea. But mm-hmm. Yes, I'm, I'm, but, I'm thinking of the plot. <laughs> but yes, so um, it's where she's the, the librarian of, she's the librarian of this very specifically steampunk world, there is a great detective, he's called Vale. Um, he's, he's very much uh, like a black chap. You see what I'm saying, uh, and she also has an assistant because librarians have assistants. Yeah. This is a lovely chap called Kai. Kai, it's revealed, happens to be a dragon. He's a young dragon. Okay. Yeah, dragon mm. um, and he's he's there, you know, on a kind of exchange program. <laughs> <laughs> oddly, oddly enough, dragons. So, 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 who's, so, so, somewhere in the dragon realms, there's somebody, there's some human thinking, this is a big pile of gold, and I've got to sit on this. Pretty much. Oh, uh, there's a big pile of gold, and I've got to count it and make sure it's in its right place because dragons in this world are like that. Yeah, uh, which is why the, the more ordered worlds they have like massive corp- there's a exchange. Pro- there's got to be more books about exchange programs. <laughs> there really should be, but in the uh, not in the invisible library, but in the masked city, they briefly go to uh, like a more steam uh, cyberpunk world. Okay. It's terribly ordered, and one of the kind of dragon world is uh, one of the dragon world he lives there. And you get all the way up to the top of this huge kind of skyscraper, and there's a dragon sitting on his pile of gold. Uh, but obviously, it's been fully accounted for. The the vat's been worked out. It's all been, you know. And it's like, well, we're, we're dragons. We can invent entire economies, and we can sit on that. That's very clever. It is very clever. I love the idea of the dragon going. Well, yeah, I could, I could own all the gold, or I could just own the world. <laughs> It's mine. I own it. It's terrible. It would be a terrible place to live because dragons are creatures of greed. But still, um, yeah. But they live on the entire world. They have all of the money. Yeah. I wonder, wonder what the dragon whole world is. 
And How you, do you get richer if you have all of the money? That's a good question. You have literally all of the money. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't get more valuable but I think than having all of it. We, we could what would it be worth? Dragons collect, don't they? I think a lot of the time the wealth isn't necessarily to be wealthy, it's just to collect and know that you own. That's it, that's it. once you've got one world to go off of wealth, get another world. Is that where the dragons just went? keep going? There's another world. Do can do dragons? Is there a dragon space program? Maybe. Well, no, no. They can. They, yeah. In this world, they can. They can crawl through dimensions. Okay. Mm. Yes. They they can because it's a dimension. It's a dimension hopping story. Right. Okay. So the burning page specifically mm-hmm. um, deals with Alvaric. Alvaric is a rogue librarian. Oh, don't like rogues. A rogue librarian sounds like hilarious. It's like a rogue librarian. Don't I'm going to put the no. the the. the Cookery books in the you know how, other section. How dare you! No, the rogue librarians in this world are a horrifying prospect. One of the problems is is that though dragons can chief, dragons are allowed to go to the library mm-hmm. and let in because at least they're trusted to you know put the books back where they they are sort of thing. <laughs> uh, the, I mean, okay, they aren't. They are not allowed anywhere near the library. If you've got too much chaos in you mm-hmm. and you try and get it to the library, it immediately bounces you back out. Uh, it's a hazard if you go to a fear world to do something um, if you're there for too long and you get infected with chaos you can't go home Aww. and one of the subplots of this is that in the, pre- in the, the masked city Vale who's just a mere mortal he hasn't he, he is essentially Sherlock Holmes yeah. so he's got he's got his wit and his intelligence but he's got no protection and be, because he's a hero he, he dives into essentially a well of chaos to save his friends. So, when we return in the burning page, it's not terribly a spoiler because it's the first page. Vale is on a drug be- uh, drug bender, right? Just like Sherlock Holmes, because he's trying to cope with the fact that he's dipped himself into into an energy that is not his own, and it's mm. trying to remake him. So that's one of the major subplots of this, and it's lovely as well. It's very well done. Uh, but the main villain is Alvaric. Alvaric is a librarian who has become infected with chaos. And Alvaric is absolutely barking mad as well, like a proper villain. Um, oh, good. This, so, um, this has dragons crawling through dimensions. It has Sherlock Holmes by a different, legally distinct name. It has. Um, it has. Um, a, Young ladies in short skirts running through through uh, libraries on books as books fly around the place and that kind of whole majesty. It has fire, it has destruction, it has a very interesting and strong female central character. I like Irene as a mm. character. I, you, you're meant to, but you're also meant to get really annoyed at her when she does things like this. She's like, oh, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. It's like, just, just, just kiss them. Or just... <laughs> Punch them and just do something, ladies. Just get on with it, sort of thing. A short skirt is very impractical if you work in a library. Think of all the ladders. Um, I, the scene I'm thinking thinking of, they're infiltrating somewhere. Oh, so they're not in the library. Okay. Um, because there's a lot of spy work that goes on. Yeah, Um, the on the back cover, it says about Irene, um, spy librarian, doesn't it? Like it's pretty much. Because a lot of what they do is they turn up to another world and say, "Hi, I'm just a, a humble waiter. 
Um, there, there is actually uh, it's a slight spoiler. There's a moment in this where she realizes that one of the books she'll have to steal is not from someone's private library, but from someone's private bedroom, and she feels terrible because she's stealing a book in mid-read. That's Aww. just rude. It's like it's bad enough to take the book. It's terrible to take the book whilst they're still reading it. Do you leave the bookmark? What's more insulting? Oh, you'd have to return the book. book. Oh, you're a librarian. You're Ooh. taking the book back. Yeah, Except they're oh. not. They're, they're basically book thieves. Hmm. I mean, they call themselves librarians, but they're pandemical book thieves. Right. It's like book curators. It's not. It's not stealing if it's for a museum. That, that's exactly that's. Well, if they take it back to the library, then they should take it back out. You know, take it out again later. But you'd have to get a library call card to a pan-dimensional library. Is that not how you normally get a library card? Good point. Oh, obviously, on this show, we have access to a pan-dimensional library, but we don't have access to the library library because none of us have, you know, cool magical tattoos. Though I'm checking, I'm about to say producer, when producer Al tells me to do something, I do it. So maybe she does know the language. She knows your true name. What happens if you put a book back in the wrong place? Does it? You know, if you put a, a, a fiction book in the history section, does it actually happen? Oh, you can starve to death in the library. It's so vast, right? That if you go to the wrong part, if you open a portal to the library mm-hmm. and you get it wrong, but you find yourself in the library, but you're in like an obscure backwater of the library, you can die mm. because there's literally miles and miles and miles of bookshelf. And you've planned it so badly that you don't have any water or supplies. The sensible thing to do would be to leave, get some supplies, and then be prepared to go on a hike. But like Warehouse 13, they've got zip wires to the various bits of the warehouse they need to go to. <laughs> you can get all I'm just thinking how much hiking would you need to do because you've got ladders, but yeah, it's not just up and down. It's you can get <laughs> authorization. What are essentially glorious grip glass elevators? That's <gasps> Amazing. But you've you've got to be you've got to have permission because it takes a lot of energy. The, the librarians don't like you messing around too much with that. They're very surprisingly they're very conservative when yeah, it comes to that. I'd mess around. I was going to say, how is this library in in the middle of this series of dimensions rather than towards the order side of it? It's right because it's, it's just. Is it, just diff- is it different dimensions have got different TV systems or something? It's never quite explained exactly where it is. And obviously my trans-dimensional... fucking 200.5, 200.7 in this dimension. What, well, well, my trans-dimensional geography is not good. Um, you should right. work on that. Uh, really, really. I mean, topology I'm okay with, but geography not quite. But essentially, it's implied that they stay in you... Oh. Mm. So it's like... Uh, fairies, the fa- the fairies love stories, so they love the library. They think it's a great idea. Um, the the dragons love order, right? So they love the library because it's a great idea because it's the biggest. Ho- it's a massive hold, mm. Mm. so they all think it's a great idea. So they they stay as so the library's like, well, that's lovely that you you don't hit either of us, but uh, you're on neutral ground. Yeah. Century, so they stay. Well, I say in the middle. They're in the middle, politically, right? Okay. Um, and geographically, it shifts because the the multiverse moves around. I say different kinds of books. I mean, you, you know, you may imagine they there's a shelf devoted to all the different reprints of the Bible, some of which have got the spelling errors, and 
the you know the, the adulterer's Bible and all that other stuff is you know is that sort of chaotic side of a book or interactive fiction is going to be a you know towards the chaotic side of the life. All ideas are chaos at first, aren't they? We well, yeah, I mean you've got all the okay. Well, no, you've got the That's fairy a... tales where you retell a story and you retell and you know. I, I mean, just realised it is an enormous metaphor for, for the creative process. All, all ideas are chaos mm. until they are formed into order. Yeah, and you've got the, you've got the fairy tales. Duh, bit. You know, you've got hey. the Brothers Grimm. You've got Sarah Pember on the next shelf, and you know you've got all these different versions. Of, and you know, you've got the the fabled graphic novels on the next shelf, and you've got all these different versions of the same characters. But that's just this one world. I know. That's going to be problematic. That's why it's a pan-dimensional library. It's quite large. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're never going to get through all of those. Yeah. Not even with a library card. I'm just saying the library is going to be structured from order to chaos in itself. It's going to be... Do you keep the two parts of the library on different you know, different extremes of the of the building? So, in, in case you haven't, Gavin, I love these. I, I want to see more. I think that it's a lovely idea. Um, it is, it's a lovely looking book as well. It's oh, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's very ben, pretty. bronze, isn't it? It's, it looks yeah. nice. It's bronze, got, got tigers. tigers. Forgotten about Candle the white tigers. That's white tigers. And there are tigers. Okay. Yay! They used to be white tiger at Longleat. There's a, there's a, because, <laughs> because she did mention hops, there's different different worlds have different things. Different tigers. Um, and, and, ooh, there's a whole conversation about tigers. There's ooh. a whole thing about tigers where they're like, ah, tigers. And Kai's like, Oh, we should come back here. It's like not now, Kai. Uh, and then that sort of, but yeah, dragons. Dragons can just turn into dragons and then fly into other worlds, right? Whereas the fae can walk, and they just walk and walk and walk and walk. They walk down one long road until that road changes. Okay. okay. If they want to take anyone else, they, they need to get a carriage. Okay. So, so if you're a particularly part, this is in the mask. I think it's in the mask city. But if you're a particularly powerful fae. Like a really powerful way, a train. I was going to say the the, the the transportation system in this is, sounds quite complicated. Well, do I mean, are there hoverboards and segways and? Oh, uh, ho- hoverboard would be airships. science fiction, so it'd be towards the older end. Right. Okay. Unless you want a magical hoverboard, in which case that would be somewhere where magic and chaos, order and chaos meet. Right. So essentially, if you've got too much chaos, you get just get magic, you get Lord of the Rings style magic. Fireballs. Right. If okay. you get uh, mix if you get a place which has had lots to border and then has drifted towards chaos you get steampunk Ooh. which sections are the TARDIS in? science fiction it's not science fiction but he's made of maths oh yeah well, hmm, okay. I say he sorry it's made of maths I think she is is, yeah. is the doctor a fair or something no he's something else isn't he yeah, because they 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 make it, don't they? Like the actual Time Lord side of things is created. It's not an intrinsic thing. Like Omega created the ability for time and dimension. They use science. Yeah, they use science. But they use science to make themselves into space wizards. Yeah. It's because yeah, why wouldn't you? That's a good point, actually. What what what's the alternative? The alternative is less cool. <laughs> It's it's that general rule though. It's like okay, here is a cool idea. Ninja ninjas are cool. How can we improve the concept of ninja? Space ninjas. <laughs> Space ninjas are suddenly cooler because they've got like you know because not only are they in like black but now it's glossy black. You know, things that go beep on the 
That's not a very good thing for a ninja. Well, the, no, that, <laughs> that ninja went beep. <laughs> I think there's a ninja over there. <laughs> well, well, no, also, they're wearing black and it's shiny. So they, they, I think they, I think we've spotted one. They press a little box, it goes beep, and then suddenly it generates a thousand throwing stars. That's the sort of, you know, they, they've got space ninja technology. It's ideally it should go beep after it's done that. Cause well, yeah, well yes, maybe they should refine this design. Yeah, <laughs> unless it's like garage door in the style of remote control <laughs> space beep, ninja. Beep. <laughs> it's like I need a space ninja now. Beep and looks on the space ninja appears. It's always been there. You just didn't realise, and then suddenly manifests. <laughs> and, um, we're, we're we're settling back to the concept of shredding as ninja. Shredding as ninja. Alive, dead, or behind you. <laughs> I was just thinking it is both there and not there. Yeah. Shredding as a ninja is either alive. What you do is you get um, some throwing stars leading to a box. <laughs> <laughs> the box comes down and obviously there's a poisonous radioactive element. But obviously you can't see. The... We've gone off topic. No, we haven't. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. We kind of haven't really. <laughs> This is not off topic. <laughs> the box goes down, and you don't know if the box has been accidentally triggered because you can't see the ninja because it's a ninja. So, but you don't know if the ninja's like cottoned onto your trap, at which point he's waiting in the shadows for you to check your trap so they can, you know, cap your ass basically. Um, I always confuse me as a statement that cap because I always think capping is something you do to oil wells, and that's just like anyway. Um, <laughs> Oh, you know, don't do, don't do that with a donkey. Are, are, are they trapped? And if they're trapped, has the radiation got them? So you know, yes, they do. Yeah, which is much more scary than Schrodinger's cat because at least I oh, know it's about as scary as Schrodinger's cat actually. It's because Schrodinger's cat is alive, dead, or really angry. Mm. Yeah, that cat is. This, this is this is like the addition to Pascal's wager. Like, you know, <laughs> like what happens if there is a heaven, but you only get to go there if you're an atheist. That's just me. <laughs> I'm worse off I was wrong, as David Mitchell put yeah. it. <laughs> Pascal's wager is that idea of being a good person because that way, if there is a heaven, you've covered all bases. Yeah. <laughs> it's the worst. It's the worst theory behind the concept of of God. You uh, might I, as well believe in God because that way uh, you're covered if he if he does exist. It's always that the. Getting way off the topic, but it's always that that whole conversation that I've seen with people like, "Well, I don't need religion to be moral." It's like, that's nice. Have you considered that some people might need religion in order to be moral? Mm. It's like it's not a slight on their per- it's not a slight on their their person. It's just how they're built. Yeah, they're built differently. So maybe they do need some structure in order to, and and maybe they're uncomfortable when someone suggests you remove that because. They don't want to admit that they need it, but they need it. So, anyway, that's gotten very serious. Do religious texts sit within order? Good question. I the author seems to avoid the concept of religious texts okay, very sensibly. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, because yes, because they definitely don't want to classify. Should we put this in the non-fiction section? It's a good place. It's a good religious text section. Yes, mm. you, you you ignore fiction, and non-fiction. It's religious, but goes mm. there. Yeah, um, but I think the the idea of is actually quite a common theme within um, books about kind of a, a, a real name and names having power, and it does actually come up quite a lot. Um, like if you think, like in Aragon, 
names are really important that's how like like in this from the sounds of it that's how you command a thing if you know a thing's real name or true name you can command it but even further back than that like Rumpelstiltskin that's oh, the yeah. whole point of that story it's like words have power don't they they, mm. they, they, they build them. it's a it's a it's, it's one of those things I really like where because words have power and because of our expectations about how a world is built it's that uh, Vicky Morty do it really well where they have that kind of turnaround where like Harper through the show like a new person that you don't expect or something that you haven't expected suddenly arrives and no one has you know everyone just behaves as if it's normal and nothing's changed yeah but like I mean I'm going really sort of biblical now if if you look at the bible <laughs> and and the the whole thing about and the verb is and does and that's that's the power of the word mm. that that's and that's pretty much in our heads all the time I mean there's a lot of, um, like you said, Rumpelstiltskin, so fairy tales, but also fae mythology, where if you know the name of a fae, you can control them, or demons, mm. uh, particularly, um, sort of like in, in you know, historically, when during the witches' trials, um, they gave the, these demon names because that meant that they could be controlled and contained and and a lot, there's lists and lists of made up de- demonic now it's great if you're right you just go i'll use that name thank you <laughs> random woman who got very killed nympha can i ask a quick question no okay <laughs> yes of course you can while you were in you know, obviously we ha- in the book nook we have our own library while you were in the library did you see russ because we've not seen him for a while i did pass him by i pointed out that like there was a bunch of new stuff on the shelves and then i lost him again i'm sure he'll turn up eventually oh god yeah he's fine though he had a bunch of snacks i'm that, sure he'll be all right that sounds like the, the technical version of look a distraction <laughs> <laughs> look more books bye boys I think books are my version of squirrels. Books. <laughs> so wait, no. Wait, wait. You're the squirrel, and books are your nuts. <laughs> yeah, is, is what you I was going to say. What do you Look, put? In, what do you put in the feed? <laughs> <laughs> Pages of goodness. It is one of the things I want to see in um, this. If Genevieve does more, and I hope she does, and there's been a strong implication because Tor, it's published on Tor, and Tor do that thing. Uh, pan, well, uh, do that thing where once they get their hands on a series, so for example, um, Charlie Stross's The Laundry series mm. was meant to be a trilogy, and then it's just kept going. And I'm kind of hoping that the library series continues and continues and yeah. continues. It's entirely up to the author, but. Well, I th- um, when we were at Sledge Lit last week, um, myself and Ross actually went to a panel about fantasy and series. Um, and whether you whether there will ever be a successful standalone fantasy world, and don't get me wrong, there were lots of reasons why they said a lot of standalone fantasy books become series. But I think authors, uh, not authors, publishers seem to be quite a big push for the idea of trilogies and series. Mm. Um, and I think as much as the author has the final say, I think there's a lot from the looks of it, a lot of people kind of putting a little bit of pressure on. And also, if you're offered the money, are you going to turn it down? Oh, absolutely. And like you, you said, and there isn't a lot of stuff. In fact, I just stopped and thought about it, and I was like, okay, name one standalone fantasy book, and I have an answer. Yeah. And it's really hard because that's the only answer I have, which is Soundless by Rochelle Mead. 
uh, which came out, I think, last year. Mm -hmm. And it's not even a very big book, but it is a fantasy world inspired by sort of oriental mythology yeah. and it begins and it ends and you get a nice satisfying experience and it's a beautiful book and that's it she doesn't i don't think she has any plans to continue mm-hmm. um it was just a story that was in her head and i miss that i miss just picking up one book and going ah yeah that was amazing next um because then books are just published like if you're lucky once a year but some of them thank you george um you wait like 20 million years for yeah and you're like when where is my fix like i need to know what happens to these people there's also there's also the thing i mean again getting back to the bending page there were uh, i think one of the books they talk about sequels of books that you want there to be sequels of mm. so there's a um so there's a mention of the sequel to frankenstein I say, what would that would be like? That would be, you know, finally we get to know the name of Frankenstein's monster, so every single pedant can stop being pedantic. <laughs> by the way, it's Adam. Adam. By the way, Fra- Frankenstein's monster is called Frankenstein. There you go. Frank, the monster is also called Frankenstein. Get over it. You're just making it hard now. Go away, Ed. <laughs> I would, I would the like to also acknowledge that one of my favourite th- bits about Ed giving that <laughs> that tiny rant then was the fact that Ed was speaking to the laptop and not the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it has a screen. Obviously, it has a soul. Yeah. It's got true. a face. It's got a little smiley face. <laughs> so it's our friend computer. I'm going to go now because I think it's going a bit cool. <laughs> <laughs> He's talking gone. about screens as if they are leaving. <laughs> You've just gone here. Um, We're not there yet. Just give it a few years. But yes, um, it's what I, I think when it comes to sequels and that sort of thing, Terry Pratchett is perhaps one of those authors that pulled it off in the sense that almost, except towards the end of the series, yeah, almost all of them work as standalone. And yep. that took me a moment to get my head around it. Um, books that work as standalone, every single one of them. Um, the, the Fighting Fantasy series. They're all standalone books. But they're still um, technically a series. That was because that actually came up in the discussion. Does that you've also I got do, Return to Fire Top Mountain? I do <laughs> absolutely love that. So the fact that you have this huge world mm. and you can just go and either follow the same person through their adventures or follow different people uh, dealing with either the same situation or different situations in that amazing world and you may have 25 books but you can read any of them at any point and you're not missing out i love that yeah uh, and there should be more of that um I don't, I say I don't like, I love series. If they're well done and there's a lovely crescendo, uh, I'll usually wait until, you know, the whole of the series is out and then buy them so I can read them without crying at night because I'm having to wait a year in between. Um, See, I, I've i said sort of converse to that. Uh, like, oh, us two not having the same opinion. Um, no, no. For me, when <laughs> it comes to... When it comes to a series, um, I've said, I think we were talking about it um, this week, Um, if all the books are already out, to me, sometimes it looks like too big a commitment. And because I read so slowly as well, it's like, I can't give my time to that. Whereas Mm. a book, and then you're just waiting for one book, and then yeah, you'll wait for another book, and you'll wait for another book. But that, it's manageable. Whereas um, I think the example I used was Wheels of Time, where it's like, no, I'm never going to read those, because that looks like 
a good few years of my life and I don't think I can devote that to one story. No, I can appreciate that. I suppose, like you say, it's very much down to the type of reader that you are. Yeah. And I'm the type of reader that will take a book and read it in two hours and then I want the rest. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, where is my rest? Mm. What do you mean it's coming out in, like, you know, 2019? That's not acceptable. <laughs> so it, it, it is, I think, very much down to the to your reader preferences. Um, there is the flip side to series as well in the Stubbers series um, where the series is never finished mm. and the story is unfinished so the one that springs to mind because it really annoys me uh, William King did uh, 40k universe uh, story about a rogue trader rogue traders are really interesting because they get to fly around the entire universe and explore it and rather than just having a grim dark war somewhere down a pit somewhere which is where most of the stories are set Says. So he's a rogue trader, he fly, flies around, and the Eldar, who are meant to be his mysterious space elves, um, the story ends with him with a unique insight into Eldar society. And you can see that what he's trying to do is the, the author is going to do Shogun. He's totally going to do Shogun, he's going to do a story of you know a foreigner in a strange culture. Brilliant, says I. Where's the next one? <laughs> oh. <laughs> there isn't one he he's still writing he just abandoned that series and the people in charge of the world and the That's franchise decided mm. that they weren't going to go any further forward that is uh, cruel just like and it's so you know it does end but the ending is like no. so open that you're like yeah. I'm yeah. missing the, the end of this story now I don't know if it's at the end of all of them um, but the copy of um, Neil Gaiman's Stardust I have the very end it includes a chapter from a story he started writing about 10 years before he wrote stardust and it was actually that story that then got him thinking about the world that he maybe could create there and that led that that's where stardust came from but they included the first chapter and i read it and i just went but i do want to read this story <laughs> where is it yeah and it's not he never made it because in the end that wasn't the story he wanted to tell which is fair enough yeah. that's absolutely his creative prerogative but I kind of, I wish I hadn't been given it because now I wonder, and I do, because it's been years since I read Stardust, and every time I think of Stardust, I wonder about that girl and where that story, what her story would have been. It's the dangers of comprehensive world building, is that if you write a story where the main character goes, and lo, I've just survived the the battle of bloody blah over the bloody blah, and you go, hang on, what now? <laughs> That sounds really cool. Tell me about the triple. Uh, the, 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 the it is triple. not relevant. Uh, Let us go forth. And but, like, but no, I, I want to read that book, not this one. Now you've got me intrigued. Um, it happens a lot in franchise worlds, uh, uh, and they kind of try and edit the more Star Wars does it all the time. Uh, Chuck Wendig's aftermath, where like halfway through. Chewie and Han turn up and go, "Hi, hi, we're Chewie and Han. We're doing this really cool thing," and you're like. Jack, I don't, now don't care about these guys. I just yeah. want to know what you and Han have been doing. And it's in the next book. Of course it is. But you're still like... The, the... Mm. They parody it in Shaun of the Dead, don't they? He uh, When he meets... I think she's Jessica Stevens at that point, yeah. isn't she? Not Jessica Hines. Um, but that, like she's got Tamsin Grieg in, in her group and Matt Lucas. And then when they turn up with the army, it's like, that's clearly a much more interesting film if that makes sense so it's just really, really I've always found that really funny 
the idea that like they're just taking the mick out of how stories do that to us all the time. Here's a little teaser for something that's probably better. <laughs> you will never see it or read yeah. it. And, <laughs> and don't get me wrong, I think I love Sean's story. Obviously, a lot of people do, otherwise that film wouldn't be the cult yeah. film that it is, but it's just hilarious, and I love that they did that. I got, I, I got the absolutely absurd pleasure um, for the Starburst New Year's issue to describe Nina Forever as the, the best rom-zom-com since Shaun of the Dead. It's also the only <laughs> rom-zom-com <laughs> since Shaun of the Dead. But that doesn't matter. It's the best British rom-zom-com since Shaun of the Dead. Um, uh, I guess because Warm Bodies isn't British, is it? No. Nah. Also, it's, it, Nina Forever's better than Warm Bodies. <laughs> it's a different conversation. Uh, Nina Forever is, a, in case you haven't seen it, is a movie... Uh, about a guy whose girlfriend, fiance, dies horribly, um, and then he gets on with his life. He he sorts it sorts it out, and then he's in the when he's in the middle of making love to his potentially new fiance. Nina turns up. She's still dead. Oh God! And very sarcastic, but yes, it's it's quite quite good comedy, but also not a novel. So <laughs> moving swiftly on. Moving moving swiftly. How long on. do we have left? Oh, well, we are rapidly heading towards the end of time. Uh, Forever? But, yeah, yeah. That's a bit doom-like. It's all right. We can always go back, you see. Okay, doing. that's fair. Do we have time to talk to a lovely author? We should. Shall we talk to a lovely author now? Let's talk to a lovely author now. While there's time. So, um, JC Norman, welcome to Brave New Words. Oh, thank you for having me here today. So, uh, the the last time we had you on the show, we were called the Radio Bookworm, of course, and um, the Sphere Divide series had just started. I, I understand that there's a new part of that series out now. Yeah, this uh, when I originally spoke to you last time, my first book was really um, just like a republished one. I actually first did the story about five or six years previously. But now I wanted to come back and restart the first one again, go over a few little things. So this it gave me some time to be ahead of myself. So this book coming out now will actually be the third one. And um, for those who don't remember that far back, what's it about? What, the, what is the new book about and what's the series about? Oh, the series itself is more... Uh, it was first original idea to write a story which is a mix between a science fiction and a fantasy. We usually... It's, hard to do that because they both sit on opposite ends of the spectrum one being you know very advanced and technological and one usually being very medieval based or things like that relying on things like magic and stuff so in this one i tried to literally find some place in the middle and base it around a lot of stuff around our own modern society as well so the story i guess would be classed as an anthro fantasy because the extra characters and creatures in there are based on mammals like lions and wolves and things like that why why are we so fascinated with turning animals into people like creatures i think from an early age playing video games watching things like star wars and lord of the rings like with when it comes to stories i've always enjoyed the idea of there are not just humans but other things that we like to talk to as well it brings that idea of bringing our own humanity into it to find the differences because in in real life we are quite a lonely race really you know we talk very closely to dogs it's just a case that dogs can't really communicate back with us so much 
So I think when it comes to fantasy and stuff like that, we like the idea of thinking that we're not alone. So what's the core plot of the Sphere Divide series? Uh, well, the, the plot itself is set around a very rich cast of different characters, and each one has a different plot theme to invoke a different emotional response. But the main plot itself is one based around an odyssey or a journey. I wanted to come up with the idea of a, sto- a very long story with loads of different characters where it would take the reader to every terrain and different kind of city or village or town or place like that as possible. So from deserts, oceans, jungles, and everything like that, because that's something that I've always, en- always enjoyed, like the idea of a big, sto- uh, big journey of a story and so on. Um, so why, why did you end up creating three books in this series? Why did it, this story lend itself to a series? I think um, the, the idea of it itself was from the beginning too big to base around a single book. The, third, the, the series itself is even a bit larger than that. I've just coming up to finishing the fourth book, which I've yet to publish. And um, and I, I think for now it will probably be another few books after that before I can put an end to the whole plot itself. So how many books do you have planned? I've got a feeling, because this fourth one will be coming out, say, next year or the year after, and it will be possibly three more, I'd say. But uh, the thing with that is it was originally a shorter number, but as I've wrote, I've introduced more things and learnt more things as I've gone along, and it just seems to get bigger as it's gone along. How would you pitch um, the book to my elderly grandmother? I think the third book, which is just about to come out, is um, I'd say it's a continuing storyline to the initial plot, but this one itself concentrates more on the relationships between the characters, as well as introducing new ones, their histories and backgrounds, and exploring new destinations and revisiting old ones. Writing's one of the hardest things you can do. What on earth has possessed you to try and write a, a fantasy sci-fi series? Well, I actually think that fantasy and science fiction, you get a lot of freedom with it. If you was to base any fiction around our world in Earth, you're restricted by our histories and by our laws of physics, for instance. But in a fantasy, you're free to come up with, you've got more freedom to come around these things and come up with your own things. What's your your method? What do you... um... Do you plot everything out carefully before you're writing, or are you more of a seat-of-the-pants type of person? I know, there's a lot of careful planning in there, and as I've, you know, originally I'd like to listen to music, or if I'm reading or finished watching a film, I'll have my own ideas from them, and if I like it, I'll think, yeah, maybe I can put that in this story, or in this series, or in a different one. It does mean, though, that every now and again I can think, oh, I should probably change that and switch the characters the chapters, or even cut whole parts out of it to make sure it all flows fluently. Why did you go for the publishing model that you've gone for? I'm sorry? Why did you go for the publishing model that you've gone for? Uh, how do you mean, sir? So um, this is available on Amazon, is that correct? Uh, yes, it is, yeah. 
So um, why did you choose that particular approach rather than um, more traditional publishing approaches? What was the appeal? Uh, really, it was just I was trying to find, I mean, I went to self-publishing at first because that was the only place I really needed to go at first. And I've been through a couple of self-publishing uh, uh, publishers myself at first before I found um, Author Right, and they've helped me out a lot since then. So I'm content with these you know, with, with these guys helping me and everything. But um, really, it's just I'm trying to get a branch out my series as much as possible. And I know that online is probably one of the best ways to do that at the moment. Who inspires you? Uh, there will be lots of different ones for that. In um, storytelling itself, it would be mainly the series of Final Fantasy I've been playing since I was a kid. It would be the writers, J.R. Tolkien, George Martin, Frank Herbert. But it would also be like George Lucas with Star Wars and loads of other TVs and films. I mean, Blade Runner is another big inspiration to me, for instance. What's the what's what scene that you have written has been your favourite so far? My favourite one so far, in a, this will be in the third book. It was one chapter where a character was facing his brother, and I use I kind of like go flashbacks back and forth within the same character to when they were children and looking after each other, and quickly cutting back to an encounter that they had so many years later. If you could um, save one piece of art, and it could be literature, it can be a movie, it could be anything, um, and have that thing survive until the sun died out, what would that be? That's a very good question. Um, I've not really ever been one for art and portraits myself. I cannot really understand them too much, but I would probably have to say the Nevermind album. Good call. Um, if you weren't writing the Sphere Divide series, what would you be writing? Um, another series that I've always wanted to do, and I hope to do after the Spheres Divide one, is one is another fiction based around history. The idea that I've always had of you know I've always loved learning about the samurai and the Vikings and all of these, but the problem we had with those is that they lived in different times in different places, so they never would have encountered. And so I wanted to come up with a story where I base each country and nation on different parts of our own culture and history and put them all together. If you got to play in someone else's sound pit, as in write franchise fiction, um, which franchise fiction, you know, Star Wars, Star Trek, anything, uh, what would it be? What would you do? What would you want to write? Oh, again, it would be... Um, I would stick with the Final Fantasy one because every one of their numbered titles is completely different from the rest. So I'd have more freedom to start from the beginning and come up with something fresh and new each time. And finally, just some silly questions to finish off. Um, angels or devils? Angels. Um, Final Fantasy Seven or Final Final Fantasy Thirteen? Seven. And um, the Doctor or the Master? I would have to say the Doctor. I'm not sure who the Master is. Okay. <laughs> Mr. J.C. Norman, thank you very much for your time. No problem. Thank you again for having me. They were lovely. Weren't oh. they lovely? Oh, that was great. I enjoyed that.
so we pretty much talked about the burning page and stories inspired by the burn. You were reading the 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 advisory notes. This is advisory notes, but because this is a dimension hopping book and characters dimension hop. The previous one had books that they'd recently recovered. This has notes such as was it? Do not transport dinosaur eggs through the yep. portals. Was it? Gate malfunction. Gate malfunction. Um, well, that's the thing as well, because um, dimension travel in this world is dangerous. And I love the idea of ah. travelling between worlds can be dangerous. So gates can explode, um, you can get tainted with too much order, too much chaos, uh, you can fall between the cracks in reality and basically die. There's no there's no cool, funky extra world there, it's just like death. Because mm. um, the, the other worlds are the other worlds. So I, kind of, I always... I always liked as an idea that there's something between, like between stories, between the turn of the page. Uh, Grant Morrison does this really well with Doom Patrol, which is we should do an entire show on Doom Patrol. <laughs> Maybe not very, sometime soon, but um, Grant Morrison's one of those writers who likes to write about stories, and he's written extensively about superheroes as pantheons and this sort of idea. But it's a weird thing about comic book writers. Alan Moore does it the same. Um, I put Grant Morrison and Alan Moore on the same page, by the way. I know some people don't. They're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> don't be controversial. Oh, wait, no. The well, other well, thing. Well, no, right. what Moore does is Moore takes an existing idea and remixes it. Um, what, what Morrison does is he takes an existing idea and updates it which are different things so uh, Moore's Batman is dark and moody um, and calls back to various ideas of Batman already he's not done much Batman um, whereas Morrison he's taken old ideas and refreshed them and updated them to the modern day if you see what I mean mm-hmm. um, the difference between if Moore's Swamp Thing Moore remixed it with a whole load of 1960s weirdness and surrealness which was drawing from the original whereas if Morrison was to write Swamp Thing he'd be doing he'd add modern environmental sensibilities to the character they essentially do the same thing it's just that everyone knows who Alan Moore is and less people know who Grant Morrison is mm-hmm. I've totally lost my friend oh Dimension Hopping um, <laughs> Did we just the, laptop, the laptop remembered your yes, idea for jumped. you. I feel like we've jumped dimension. Yeah, um, that's the, the noise. The, it's, it is. It's like the TARDIS, just not. There's a wonderful. There's a wonderful bit in classic comics, comic books, which Morrison updated. The idea of don't turn that page, and the idea that every single character on a page, when you open that, when you have that page, they're living, they're real. They're there. You're reading them. They exist. As soon as you turn the page, they don't exist anymore because you've turned the page. That's a bit like um, heartbreaking. Like Bertrand Russell and the the toy box kind of parable, isn't it? It's but a, the opposite. <laughs> um, there's a there's a theory called uh, I I talked about this in a lecture at one point, and I also bent other people's ear about this in the past. But there's a page. We were talking about Schrodinger's ninja moment. Schrodinger's minge. <laughs> really? Oh, we we definitely weren't that talking about point. Schrodinger's minge. I don't know. <laughs> we've, I think we've added some to Schrodinger's pantheon. <laughs> I was trying to talk about that. Okay, if you read Alan Moore's The Watch, oh god, right. <laughs> way to lower the tone. <laughs> That's what he said. He did, and he said ninja. 
ninja. Yeah, but first he said ninja, <laughs> then he said ninja. <laughs> I'm not going there, li- literally. Oh, maybe I am. <laughs> This is just like maybe you are or maybe you're not we won't know until we see <laughs> okay descending into chaos steadily so one of the things about the Watchmen I can't do this <laughs> is eternalism so the the idea that each panel is a moment in time a tick or a top and eternalism says that this moment in time, this conversation that we're having right now, or the person listening to the podcast, always exists. Yes. And the, 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 it's kind of sectioned off a sectioned piece of time. Yeah, listen, you were destined off. to listen to this. Yeah, it's not destiny. It's just that that, that that moment of time that you've spent doesn't go anywhere. It still exists. Yeah. You just can't access it because it's turned off from energy states. Always Steve Stars is there, all photographs. Yes, yeah. everything everything is always there. It's a it, we keep going back to Doctor Who on these things, but it's the thing that Doctor Who uses where it could it shatters through the panel, it shatters through the page. Well, I was, gonna say, I was just thinking of that because I remember there was a video show a little while ago, and it's, it's something that hasn't been shown on the TV program before. But the TARDIS always disappears from one place, and whenever you see new materials, it materializes somewhere else. And there is a video of news. Someone tried to do a visualization of the TARDIS actually transitioning into the vortex and out again. Uh, Dramatically, and yeah, it's, it's something you don't always really see in the program. The TARDIS moves between you know worlds off page. There's also a, a, a lovely visual from McCrag's Honor, the graphic novel for the of the Horus Heresy, in which a ship transitions into the warp, and you literally you have the graphic novel open in front of you. You have the right page where where the ship is travelling into the warp, and you turn the page, and the ship travels out of the page into the warp. So you've got this visual of when you change the page, you literally went between dimensions. Oh yes, uh, cool. where, where the ship is. It doesn't McCracks on it, by the way, is rubbish. Um, <laughs> no, it is. Um, and that is your opinion, and we respect it. But it's it's a gorgeous looking thing. But yeah, yeah. why is it so low on the ground? It, it, no, 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 it's a terrible story. Okay. And the art doesn't do service to the no, no. It's a decent story and it's decent artwork. It's just the artwork and the story don't work well together. That's the problem. But it does some amazing things, like the ship coming out of warp on the page, or there's two ships fighting each other. And if you read it right to left, you get the battle from the from their side, and if you read it left to right, you get the battle from the other side. That's and it's cool. really cool. Um, well, it was a number of things because yeah, I mean Dan Abbott's talked about this in 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 videos around how he designed it because. Comic artists, when they draw, for example, a spaceship, will normally draw it from different angles because they want to give an idea of what it looks like. Whereas in this, in order to give the proper idea of two spaceships, one chasing the other through space, without having them both be on the screen at the same time, on the page at the same time, because space is really, really big and these things can be really, really far apart, they said, okay, if you always show it moving up and to the right, we know it's going that way. And if if you do that consistently throughout the the first few pages of the book, then when this first ship turns around without seeing the two on screen or in any way relative to each other you get the sense of tactics involved yeah that, that, that's what I was talking about yeah. you can you can plot where the ships are it's a oh, McCrag's on it it should be really good and it's not it, it's it's one of those it's one of those books where all the it's full of lovely ideas and it works like each one of those should work and it just all the plates just don't quite spin and on that I think we should run away we should just let the plates fall. We should just let the plates fall. So, I've been Ed Fortune. I've been Ross. I've been Del. And I've been Nympha. 
Alright, see you again sometime later. Or maybe not. Or soon. Thank you.